0: This episode of the Jealous Vegan podcast is brought to you by V-Coco, an online cooking school dedicated to vegan cuisine. Learn how to cook vegan the right way from international chefs in the comfort of your own home for less than a dollar a day. For more details and to get a discount on your membership, go to thejealousvegan.com forward slash V-Coco, V-E-E-C-O-C-O.
1: That conversation that Alice and I had was like, I think that was in the context of you going to a spin class, right? We had Mm -hmm. talked about that. And Alice and I, we worked out together for a little bit. And I remember her saying like, I can go to spin and I can spin for like 45 minutes and it's fine, but then I do one of your workouts and it's like, I'm sore for a week and I can't figure out why. And we were talking about, yeah, spin is easy for your body because you do it all the time, right? So it's like autopilot. But as soon as you're like doing some deadlifts or lunges or some sort of movement that you're not used to doing, like your body's like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Wait, wait. Why are we doing this? Just go back to spin, girl. Just go back to spin. We're like, we weren't ready for this.
0: Welcome to The Jealous Vegan a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach,
1: also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer.
0: We're very excited to welcome a special guest to the podcast today, Alice Quist. And Lisa, I'll let you explain to the audience how Alice came to be on the podcast with us.
1: Yeah, so uh, Alice is a friend of mine. Uh, We've been friends for a couple years, and we were having just this interesting conversation, and I was like, you have got to be on our podcast to talk about um, kind of her specialty and kind of fascination with like human psychology and how that works and in terms of food, so... I got her here, and here she is.
2: Thank you so well, much.
0: Guys. Yeah, and so everyone knows, and listening to Alice and Lisa talk about how they know one another, it was so funny because they are like, oh, yeah, well, we were in London, and then we were in the south of France, and, oh, then a few <laughs> years later, we were in Ghana. So these ladies have traveled internationally together.
2: Absolutely. probably has some stories to tell. Yeah. Yes, we definitely enjoy each other's company.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but
2: it's one good. of the... Um, one of the things that we really bonded over was just the just exercising and nutrition mm. yes. and, and everything. And I remember we were um, working out one day and I was talking about how I learned this really interesting thing about the way the body works um, mm-hmm. or the mind works when it comes to exercising. Mm-hmm. Really, that much of what we think that we're in control of, we were not. And mm-hmm. so we say, oh, January 1st. We're going to start <laughs> right. a workout. Hitting it right? hard. Yeah. Yep. And we make all these plans and these goals. And, you know, we start out first few days, works great. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, it just, we just fall off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happens? And um, I became really uh, fascinated by that because I didn't really understand. You're motivated to do it and you're conscious of of actually wanting to do it, but it actually doesn't like last. Work. So- what happens, and it turns out that um, really, once we learn a skill, we everything that um, the brain learns just goes into the subconscious. And so, when we're actually doing something like driving, when we're first learning how to drive, it's very conscious, very conscious, very focused. We're making sure we're not gonna die, but. <laughs> Or killing someone else. That's generally a good idea. Yes. <laughs> die. Once we kind of learn that skill, it just goes to the background. Um, it just makes things your brain a lot more efficient, um, so it doesn't have to think about that. But when you're introducing something else to it, like starting a new workout, eating better, eating, you know, having a fruit instead of I don't know a donut, <laughs> um, it your body's like, wait, what are you doing? We already have a system going right? Mm. So no, this is not going to work. Yeah, and so work. Your, your conscious mind basically says, okay, we're going to do this. And then after a while, the brain just kind of takes over and it does what it needs to do. And so in order to actually have a, um, a workout regimen that actually stays or nutrition um, that um, regimen that is actually um, sustainable, you have to make sure that you're conscious of the way your brain like functions and how it actually takes in that information. And then, you know, that way, if you're able to kind of coax it a little bit, mm-hmm. then you can kind of change your habits and things go smoothly. Like, Come on, brain. Come Let's, on,
0: do brain. Let's, Let's do it. Let's do
2: it. Can,
0: can we talk about driving for just a second? Um, because as soon as you said that, <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm of an age where I've been driving longer than yeah. I've not been driving. Uh huh. And so many times I'm in the car and I'm like, I don't even know how I got here. Yeah. and it actually <laughs> like it scares me like yeah like I know I drove here and <laughs> I think I was like texting and listening to music and talking on the phone and like having all these other thoughts yeah and then I end up at the place where I'm supposed to be and and I'm so many times like it's a miracle that I didn't die yeah but How that makes perfect here? sense that like my brain is just like we know what we're doing this 2,000 yeah. pound vehicle has nothing on us absolutely nothing. To go yes
2: exactly yeah
3: um, it's so interesting. We're having this conversation because I was just coaching a client this week and she came to me. She said, I want to get healthy. She says, I saw you on Instagram. I want to get healthy. I know I need to work out, but I just can't do it. Like I, I she said, I, I need to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. And we just kept, she just kept saying gym, gym. And every time she said the word gym, it just hit me like, like a gavel. Like that is a loaded <laughs> word for you. You hate that word. Yes. So we I was coaching her over the last few times, and she's like, I just can't go to the gym. I don't know. I know what I should do. I just can't. I just can't go to the gym. So I said, what happens if we just take the gym out, off Mm -hmm. the table? Like, the gym is not even an option. What would you do then? And we talked through it. Turns out she's like, I said, what what do you think of when you think of the word gym? What words come to mind? She said, I don't want to do it. (laughs) I'm like, well, then what are we talking about? Because you came to me saying you want to go to the gym, and clearly, subconsciously, Mm I don't want to go to the gym. Okay, we're not going to do anything we don't want to do. Conscious, especially things that are subconscious. Mm -hmm. And when we took that off the table for her, she was like, oh, I would do this and I would do that. And here's how I need to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And she did it. Absolutely. So I'm sorry. Were those like, uh, you know, just ways to be active that didn't involve going to the building?
3: Right, the gym for her is a loaded term, and she's like, "I hate the gym. I want to be outside. I want to have music. I want to be with a friend, and I want to be, you know, in the on the sidewalk. I I can walk." And I was like, "Well, why not do that?" She's <laughs> like, "No, I need to go to." Well, yeah, you right. But but it was the idea. It was kind of a light bulb moment for me too. To your point that you're making, mm-hmm. um, Alice, that. It, the subconscious is always in control, whether we choose it or not, mm-hmm. which is all, why it's so important to know, to know what we're feeding that subconscious because she wasn't conscious until that moment that, oh, Jim is like, that's like a gun to your head in her mind, in her subconscious mind. That's a gun to her head. And she's not a person who likes to do anything she doesn't want to do. Yeah. Right. So consciously she's like, I need to go to the gym. But subconsciously it's like,
2: not doing that. Right. Ever. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And as, as evolved as we are, as, as people, the brain still thinks we're in, you know, out in the wild somewhere. And so when there's something that's negative, we the brain automatically says, okay, well, do I fight? Do I fly? Or is, am I fleeing or just freeze? So basically what, what's happening with your friend is she's equating Going to the gym with something that's absolutely terrible, and your body will not get in line. It won't get in line. Right. It doesn't matter what you do. Yeah.
3: And that's why we're talking about this because it's so powerful. Like, people think that diet change is about food. It's so not about the food. That's the actually easier part of it. Is like you. That's a matter of like going to get information and figuring out how you're gonna do it. Line up your steps. It's not about that. People fall off the wagon, so to speak, the vegan wagon, so to
0: speak. <laughs> <laughs> or as Lisa says, the train. The train. I told the train to just go ahead and leave me. <laughs> I'll, I'll catch you at the next station.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm still running behind that
0: thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not because they don't have access
3: to food. Generally speaking, it's because they there's there there's social factors and there's things that you love that are in this old habit and the new habit, as you're pointing mm-hmm. out,
1: Alice, is so much harder because your brain's like, what are you talking about? We already have a program. No, mm-hmm. no, stop interrupting my program. Yeah. That conversation that Alice and I had was like, I think that was in the context of you going to a spin class, right? We had mm-hmm. talked about that and Alice and I, we worked out together for a little bit and I remember her saying like, I can go to spin and I can spin for like 45 minutes and it's fine. But then I do one of your workouts and it's like I'm sore for a week and I can't figure out why. And we were talking about, yes, spin is easy for your body because you do it all the time, right? So it's like autopilot. But as soon as you're like doing some deadlifts or lunges or some sort of movement that you're not used to doing, like your body's like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Why are we doing this? Just go back to spin, girl. Just go back to spin. We're like, we weren't ready for this. Um, And absolutely, Uh, I think we talked a little bit too about uh, I know Alice had brought up as I'm always trying to like figure out exactly where I fit in the fitness industry and really what I want uh, to really help people with. She actually brought up an idea that I should find a way to equate some sort of music that people like um, music that maybe they associate with a good time in their life or something really positive to like a workout and then they'll you'll have that like Feel good trigger. So, like for your client who's feeling like I don't want to go to the gym, but if you could put on a playlist that takes you back to like a happy place in your life, then you don't feel so much like you're at the gym as much as you're kind of reliving this other part of your life, mm-hmm. um
2: which creates a kind of
1: new
3: pathway, switch. yeah, yeah a new pathway,
2: yeah, yeah. And, and I I remember that because I went to a spin class and it, it was one of those like. Kind of difficult. Spin classes, and for some reason, for um, that on that particular day, the um, the playlist was just amazing. Mm-hmm. It just reminded me of a time, like I think college. Uh, I think it was maybe freshman year or sophomore year of college, where everything was great. And <laughs> um, for for some reason, I did so much better on that particular day than any other day. So I was like, hmm, I wonder whether there's a connection there, and it. It seems to make sense to just from, again, the brain connects certain memories with um, experiences. um, And so you just want to make sure that you're creating positive memories, especially for things that you really don't want to do. Because then it's no longer about the thing that you hate to do, but it's the thing that you're kind of doing, but you're having a good time doing it. Right. Because you have all these like positive Mm -hmm. things you, and and then then you feel like
1: you want to do it again right because you're like that was awesome
3: yeah and music is. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up music because it's a powerful trigger Mm -hmm. I mean so many things I I am not so tied to music as much as I am to smells so Mm. smells trigger things for me good and bad but what I coach people and my friend Jen is definitely has a music trigger um so I just like it's amazing to me that people have the we have these emotional responses to something and it may not even, we're in the same place and we're hearing a song and it's like, <gasps> and it's good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so to reassociate the, the positive music with the good, this new habit change, that does that makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. to reassociate them so that it can they can sit together. It's like I used to um, somebody told me when you go to meetings, I used to be a scrum master and they say, you go to meetings, you bring candy. So people associate you with sweetness.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this is always good when I see her. She always Great. has <laughs> brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that's funny. I um I have so many things I want to talk about now. So the first <laughs> though is the idea that so i I say all the time, especially to April, that I that I remember that my memories are in color. Mm. And the reason I say that is because I don't just I'm mean, gonna I mean, have a pretty good memory just in general, but my memories are tied to where I was, what I was doing, what music was playing, especially. And those things just all come together for me, and I find myself connected to things that, that really aren't that great, but I have some sort of sentimental um, contact. And so one that April mentioned to me recently that for whatever reason, for like the last 10 years, I've just totally ignored. There's a restaurant based out of Austin that has now opened locations in Virginia and Maryland. Um, it's called Chewy's. It's okay. a Tex-Mex place. Okay. It's not um, plant-based, y'all. It's, it's very little plant- plant-based options there. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so, but when I lived in Austin, I remember, you know, like one of the things that I enjoyed was the fact that there was a lot of uh, emphasis on eating local and supporting local business. Mm -hmm. So they have this like unofficial motto, keep Austin weird. And so people go out of their way to support things that are kind of homegrown as opposed to the chains that you might find in other parts of the country. So, uh, so I went to Chewy's a lot. And when people would come to town, I'd take them to Rudy's, a barbecue spot Mm -hmm. and Chewy's, this Tex-Mex place. Well... I have a very fractured, had a very fractured relationship with my dad. And the one time that he ever came to visit me, like in 20 years, Mm -hmm. was when I lived in Austin and I took him to Chewy's. And I had actually forgotten about that. But recently, um, April, Lisa, and a friend of ours were out and like our friend had had like some medical procedure that was very traumatic for her. And Super hilarious for us. Yeah, but I think April had a. Or no, no, at no I had, had a just traumatic experience. My cats
1: the same morning. Oh
3: my gosh.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah. it was oh, a traumatic, traumatic day. We
3: were at, like, we had like oh, friends in crisis. Yeah, okay, and Jen and I were supporting them. I still think about those cats, y'all.
0: Oh, I'm Aww. so sorry. Okay, oh, don't get to me Don't get to I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> bring it up. So I know they're so, fine. <laughs> so there's a Chewies close to where Dion lived, and so we went to Chewies, and I was like. I can't even eat anything here. Who picked this place? You did, right. <laughs> And so there's this whole thing about how, like, Lisa ordered like something with cheese on oh, it. Oh yeah. was like sick in, like, minutes, and like twenty minutes, and I couldn't find anything to eat. And it was it was just not a great I just bet on <laughs> great experience, yeah. right? And, and April's like, I'll just have a margarita, thanks. Which is a great great for margaritas, <laughs> but don't try to eat there if you if you're plant based. But anyway, so like the whole idea was that my memories of this place were not about the food at all yeah no it was about like being in this new place where I loved the people and then my dad coming to visit me and taking him there and so it's funny to me because I still like love Chewies, even though I don't love Chewy's right and, like my brain is broken no the funny oh
1: sorry no no go ahead please. the funny part about it, I feel like that day is that so many decisions were they definitely came out of our subconscious like we didn't know where to go to eat I had just uh, April picked me up in the morning we had like my cats in the back seat and we're like rehoming them and it was super traumatic and then we like called Jen who was with our other friend who had just had a medical procedure who was like all over the place and we're like where should we go to lunch and Jen picks (laughs) Chewy's without even realizing that it's not related to this other thing and then we get there and I order like I don't know like an enchilada Enchilada. or something covered in cheese and April specifically says, like, you, you don't sure want do to eat this. And I'm like, I'm going to eat it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> then, like, yeah, within 20 minutes, I was, like, so sick. And, like, all of us were like, this was, like, the worst Wor- day. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did we do any of this? All of this was a bad idea. Um, but I think it just, it really did come from a subconscious place. All of us were making subconscious decisions that we thought were, like, very rational and logical at the time and they like totally were not which brings up
3: segues us into an important point that we oftentimes it's like the worst kind of ignorance is the arrogant ignorance mm-hmm. you <laughs> think you know it and you don't hello yeah. teenagers right I was, I was that person right um I and definitely it's, was. it's the it's the thing of like uh, <laughs> i heard that
1: <laughs> like i heard that
3: <laughs> um it's the thing of like Oh, no, no, I'm being very logical. No, no, let's be logical. And in the corporate world, especially in the corporate Western world, you're supposed to be very logical. And I was raised, you should be very logical. And yet, none of us are really logical. And we think we are. And we think, we especially judge other people, and I'm guilty of this, who aren't logical. (laughs) (laughs) And no one is, right? no one is. And it's that idea you know, to so bring it back to plant-based, it's that idea of, like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not logical. Mm-hmm. You're trying to replace a habit, so you have to create these new connections, mm-hmm. right? And it's part intellectual. It's very much so about the emotional factors that keep us from—and and those are subconscious a lot of times. Um, the subconscious is driving. It's, it's just it's a fascinating thing because mm-hmm. it's the worst kind of of— of of arrogance to say, oh no, no, we're very logical and we're just going to line up and bring all this food in, except you might not drink it. You might not eat it, like even if it's here.
2: Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. I think the, what's interesting about it is once something goes into your subconscious, it's very difficult to get it back out. And if you don't know that you're operating out of your subconscious, then you're pretty much done, or at least it's going to make life a whole lot more difficult for you. Now, when you do understand that, oh, what I'm doing this, not in a rational way, because I learned how to do it a different way and that's in my subconscious, then at least you're aware of it. And you can say, okay, how do I then change this? With the understanding that it's, going, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be just one time and then you do it. It's just gonna be multiple. But the most important thing is just having that awareness that I'm doing this because I did it. I was I'm used to doing it another way, right. um, and that way isn't exactly serving me. Now the brain thing that thinks that it's serving you by making sure that all of that stuff is hidden so that you don't have to think about it, but in that instance you actually need it to change, and so you kind of have to work with it a little bit and say, okay, how do we actually go about? making this change. So what I heard you say
3: was consciousness first. You have to be conscious of your programming. Yes. First.
1: Yes. So that brings up an interesting point. I think you and I talked a little bit about this, is about how your programming starts from like such a young age, right? Is the things that, uh, when I hear you talking about um, going against your subconscious, all of the stuff that you're inputting between, is it zero
2: and five or zero and nine? Yeah, um, usually Psych. between, yeah, when you're born and right around nine, your every your habits, most of the things that you do um, are pretty much set by that age because up until that point, you're just, you're a sponge and it's you're in a, an essentially hypnotic state. And so whatever it is what? that you are taking in is what is recorded and just locked And so there are things that you do now that you don't understand why you're doing it. But if you like probe a little bit, you realize that, oh my gosh, I actually learned that when I was in elementary school or all of that stuff. And we don't know that. We often think everything is in the conscious mind, but it's not.
3: That explains why our parents imprint so strongly on us. Yes. Whether we like it or not, yes, absolutely make an
1: impact, good or bad. Yep. She broke my brain with that because I just I remember having this conversation with uh, Jen and April and Jen was like, "Oh my gosh, we're doomed." (laughs) (laughs)
2: Okay, so like it's over, it's done. Okay, so our parents are running the
1: ship, and you know we spend. And I think it's really true, right? Is we spend a lot of our adult life trying to break some of the habits that we learn at an age when we didn't have an option, whether we learn them or not. Um, I I was thinking about my own childhood and like, I don't know, my entire life I've like trying to become, I've been trying to become a morning person. It's really difficult for me. But now when I think back, it's like, well, when I was a kid, I didn't Really have a bedtime, which is funny because April had bedtime, and she's. Let's not do that.
3: <laughs> let's not do that right now because we can talk about big sister, little sister, and who gets it worse. But that's not important to the. So I really, I feel like older <laughs> siblings are
0: only on the planet to ease our parents into our lives. Oh, that's awesome. We're the beneficiaries of yeah. Like my sister, she got in trouble for everything, and by the time I came along, everything was cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything's fine. Yeah, but you know, audience, what, so- y'all
3: heard that right.
1: <laughs> but what's she's funny salty. is. April has no problem getting up in the morning, getting, like, done with what she needs to do in the day. I really struggle with that, but she had so much more structure as a child. She had a bedtime, a time to get up. I didn't have any of that. And now here I am, you know, in my 30s, like, I'm just trying to be a morning person for, like, the last 15 years. I don't understand what the problem is, you know? So we you know? talk about being, like wired in a way and how those habits start to form. And we did a series on conscious parenting, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this goes really in line with that is we have to, as individuals, none of us have children, but as people who are old enough to have children, it's like when we do have children, if we do have children, right? To be mindful of that, I think our parents' generation was not mindful of the fact that what... If I don't make her go to bed, maybe she won't be a morning person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we have the ability now that we know better to shift, you know, the next generation and to to know that you have so much influence over your children, way more than you think you do, um, especially in those those early stages of life, which... You know, I wish our parents knew. I mean, <laughs> mine specifically. But, you know, th- th- I, I think also you're not thinking about that as a parent, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm just trying to keep you alive. Right. And, like, make sure that you get what you need Um, without understanding that so much, not so much, everything mm-hmm. that your child is watching and doing at those ages is going to um influence the person that they become for the rest of their lives. And I think that's, like... Yeah, when you told me that, I was like, oh, I kind of did feel like Jim. Like, oh, yeah, well, it's over. Cool. <laughs> it's over. I'm just always going to be a night person. Great. Because also when you think about it, nine years of your life is like a very short time period. Mm-hmm. So whatever I learned between zero and nine, I've spent double that trying to undo. And it's it's so ingrained and it's so hardwired that it's like body just every time is like, nope, yep. I'm going back to this other thing. Um. Which is a really strong and interesting point. Well,
3: the reason we're not doomed is that we can shift it. Yeah, yes. we're not doomed, right? We we yeah. can like, I mean, no, it's strong, right? But first, mm-hmm. shift that consciousness is key because we're not taught to be conscious. A lot of people just go with, you know, I, I, you hear people say, uh, "I was born a Baptist, I'm gonna die a die Baptist." Mm-hmm. You know, now I, I need to. I eat. Man, my parents ate bacon. I don't see what the problem is. My parents smoke. I don't see what the problem is with smoking, right? My grandmother lived till she was eighty smoking, and I'm gonna do it too, right? So. There, there is a tendency, especially as being a part of a society and we all want love and belonging, there's a tendency to just do what we've always known because it's comfortable, mm-hmm. right? To Alice, your point, like yep. it's just comfortable. Mm-hmm. So if you're not conscious, then yeah, you're going to do exactly what your parents programmed you to do, right or wrong, good or bad. And it's that consciousness to say, yo, that's actually not serving me right now. I don't yep. like this habit that my I picked up somewhere. It doesn't even matter not to pass blame on parents, right? Mm Because they do the best they can with what they know and what they can do at the time. But yeah, I I think it's actually, it's it's, it's taking your power back. Yep.
1: But it takes a
3: lot of work. Yeah to take your power back, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be the human. And I think at a certain age, I think this is kind I think the world according to April, non-scientific audience. Um,
2: <laughs> like,
3: I think that that's kind of the struggle with being a teenager mm-hmm. is that you have this programming now and now, but you're you're seeing actually, maybe I don't want this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make the same choices. And yet your programming pulls you back and you're, there's a sense of belonging with what you already know. So that's always pulling you back, but there's this tension of like, yeah, but this is, this is not what I want though.
1: Yeah. And
3: where does, where do I find the love and belonging and safety and yet become the person I want to be versus the, the person that I was trained to be one way or another?
2: Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, that's the great news is things can change. So yeah. neuroplasticity, <laughs> you are rewiring your brain. There's also um, this term called neurogenesis, which is basically new brain cells forming. So And you can do that well until, you know, up until, you know, till you're no more. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Um, But that's the good news. But it actually does require you to be conscious or at least aware of the things that you're doing.
3: Can we take a pill? I mean, neurogenesis, that sounds amazing. Like, how can I get, can I I speed this up? (laughs) Right.
0: Like, you know, some people have, like, superheroes they want to be. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Limitless? I just want to be that guy. Oh. I want that pill yes. to take and yeah. yes. <laughs> be that guy. That's a good movie. So, yes. Give me a pill. You Give know. me a pill. So, so, really, how do you go about telling yourself, I know you're trying to help me, but you're, you're in the way.
2: Right. I want to shift the way that I'm thinking about or doing this thing. Mm. Someone uh, told me once that the most important thing is Number one, be aware of it. And the way to do it is pretending as if you're on a raft, right? When you're on a raft in, in troubled waters, uh, all you want, you just, you're going, you just keep going. But the once you become conscious of it, take yourself off that raft and put yourself on the bank, the riverbank, and watch watch it go. Now, you may not necessarily be able to change things right away, but at least you're observing, Right. And so just let that, uh, whatever's happening, just wash over you. And then at the end kind of reevaluate, okay, what happened in that situation? How can I change it the next time? And then, you know, keep doing, even if you fail the next time and the next time and the next time, at least you're aware of it. At some point things are going to change because you're aware of it. There's no like right or wrong way to do it, but the most important thing is just being aware. It's interesting. As someone who's been
0: on a raft in troubled waters, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you that it absolutely feels like you're sitting on the bank watching this thing play out. Right. Because as it's happening, you're like, no, 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 <laughs> no don't do it. <laughs> right. And then you're like falling out. And then you have to try to remember all the things they told you about, like, don't put your feet down, hold your arms up, try to grab the line as you go past the yeah. this place where we have this safety zone for you. And, and so... That's interesting, and, yeah. and I think um, we don't think about that, but I'm absolutely absolutely going to start thinking about um, watching myself do something and maybe journaling as a way mm-hmm. to kind of capture, oh, this is what happened, this is what I did, this is what it looked like, this is what I would do differently in that same
2: situation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I was thinking about feelings, the power of mm-hmm. desire too, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. we know, we can observe it ourselves and we can say, yeah, huh. I didn't quite go according to plan. <laughs> but if if the, if the critical mass is not there where we're like yeah no this really needs to shift mm-hmm. then it's you know it can be intellectual exercise. It depends. I feel like it has to be some kind of critical mass of like pain or discomfort before people will really shift. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people we talk to for example um, jealous vegan audience they they come to plant-based because they're trying to resolve a health issue. Mm-hmm. And the health issue when we talk, especially and when I'm coaching health coach client, health coaching clients is um, the signs are there, the signs are there, the signs are there, the signs are there, the signs are there. And then it's like, oh, I might die. Or there's blood where there's not supposed to be blood. Okay, let's fix that. And that's comes from my personal journey too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so the signs were there, the signs were there, so the pain was there, the pain was there, the pain was there, the pain was there. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to do something now mm-hmm. differently. And I feel like that's part of it too, like the observation. Because mm-hmm. it's sometimes that you, you can't, you don't know in the moment that something's wrong. Because we have a tendency, we talked about this too, of normalizing things that
1: They're are not normal. normal.
3: Yeah, right. They're just part of our experience. So we're just like, oh, everybody doesn't think like that. Everybody doesn't do mm-hmm. that. That's not everybody's experience. Um, and I feel like that intercepts some of the consciousness Mm -hmm. until there's a a real moment where it's like okay no I need to change this yeah what do you do you think what do you think about that
2: I think anything that you can do in order to to help you get there is is key um is important I think and the reason why I just keep harping on awareness is just making sure that you know because if you don't then it you don't know, you can't do anything about it, but, um, trying to, doing everything that you can to, to change, just putting the steps in place, uh, to make sure little steps here and there, um, can, can actually help you change. But that's where you need, you know, things like kind of, you kind of have to, um, how do you call it? Just coax yourself into doing it. So kind of persuade it, whether it's through music or through whatever it is that you like, making sure that you're making that connection or reconnecting your brain so that you're not making that same like error you're not creating that groove essentially i really want this
3: neurogenesis thing to happen I know. like can we can we yeah. is there anything i can speak I that up no seriously that's a real question
0: <laughs> how long I does it know. typically take for new pathways or new thoughts to be created such that they kind of supersede what was previously programmed
2: They say it takes about three weeks of doing it consistently for something to change. That's not bad. Yeah. You just have to remember to do it at the same time or just remember to make that shift. Um, But there's also, I think there's um, there's a process. There's usually a trigger, which leads to the actual habit. And then the reward afterwards. And the thing that you need to do is just making sure you're aware of what's triggering it, what you're doing, and then the reward. And then sometimes changing that reward. So um, this uh, guy, uh, his name is Dan Ariely. He's a um, he's a psychologist, and um, he's interested in well, not interested in. He teaches behavioral economics. Um, he has a very interesting story. He um, he got burned to I guess 70% of his body Um, and he was in the hospital for about three years and he couldn't do really do anything and it was during that time that he started observing people um, and realizing that they were people were irrational but they were irrational in very predictable ways now uh, I think a couple of years later after he got out of the hospital he had to go back in for a liver um, he had a liver disease and he had to inject um, himself uh, just to get well. And he was able to do it, but he he recognized that it had to do with his environment. So if he changed his environment and created a, a reward system that enabled him to actually do it, then he would do it. And so what he did was he would inject himself and his reward would be watching a movie. So, you know, doing things like that or having... You know, having those things that kind of bring you joy and kind of making that connection to the thing that you don't want to do but you have to do um kind of helps
3: so the thing that really comes up for me when you talk about that, Alice is well first so we are we are driven by reward, not mm-hmm. by punishment, so not like if you don't do it, you'll you know. Flog yourself. I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. We're <laughs> driven more by the positive um, the reward carrot of something, than the stick. right? And that's amazing. For me, it would be pasta if I had to inject myself and I reward. It'd be <laughs> pasta. I'd be looking for something high quality and delicious, um, preferably from Centralina, DC. Thank you. Okay, bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think that now that brings up an interesting point, especially in terms of TJV, right? Because how many of us reward ourselves with food? Oh, mm. maybe food that we shouldn't have. And I, I mean, that brings in the the cultural dynamic, too, of like you're having a bad day or whatever. And you go for the pasta and maybe you don't care that it has cheese or like me. I was having that really bad day and I'm like, enchilada, give me all the cheese. <laughs> and yes, I'm going to probably die in 20 minutes because I can't <laughs> breathe. and uh, All of my airways have closed right. up. But it's it's it's, it's and it was so funny
3: because I specifically said to you, Leela, you're stress eating right now. And I was like, I don't care. I
1: don't care. I
0: don't don't care. care. I just want it. She's so little sister defiant. It was funny. (laughs) But I mean, I I wouldn't call it a reward, but in some
1: ways it was. I did this thing that was very hard for me that I knew I was gonna have to do and it was like super painful and it's like, okay, you got through it, and like it was kind of a reward thing is, I'm going to eat all this cheese. I also love cheese. It's one of the things that I miss the most, being dairy-free. Um, I still haven't really found a dairy-free cheese that you know I like, but... What? Yeah, <laughs> I know. We've had like so many
0: cheese tastes. I know. It's just...
1: I oh, miss I'm my so, cheese. I'm
0: sorry. I'm, 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 I'm going to try not to let my feelings be hurt right now, because I feel like I've turned you on to some amazing yes. dairy-free cheeses, but it, it's fine. They've been you know good, it. but... They've been good, but, like, my whole life routine has now failed. They
3: just got scandalized <laughs> by I mean, your,
0: your plant-based cheese choices. I spent, like, Look, $50 on cheese today <laughs> simply so that we could have some cheese today, Lisa. But you know what? I'm going to take it back to the store because, you know, I no, don't I'm, even want it. I'm going I'm just saying. It's fine. Yes. I'm just saying. I'm taking so- my
1: ball. I'm going home. <laughs> I found some really great uh, cheese alternatives. However, she's lying. <laughs> they're not the same as like my usual full of dairy, mozzarella and cheddar specifically. It's like one of my favorites, cheddar. Aww. I also haven't found a like non-dairy ice cream, which I was eating like a pint of ice cream a day before I went dairy free, which I realize now was also a stress thing. It was a very stressful time in my life. I was ha- I had a lot going on. Um, I was in kind of like a bit of isolation. And so like ice cream was my thing that put me in my happy place. And like, yes, I was eating gelato every day. Lots of it, you know? Um, and so I think as we spin it full circle for like our TJV listeners is the thing to be conscious of is um, sometimes... One, we're not always making the decisions that we think we're making, but then also being aware of this, is this like, I'm going to do this thing that I don't like and I'm going to reward myself later. And like what that reward looks like and how does, I guess this is a question for you really, Alice, is like, what happens when you also have to rewire your reward? You know, it's like if you're doing this thing that you're like, all right, this thing, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it and then I'm going to reward myself, but wait. I can't reward myself with ice with cream that. or I can't reward myself with cheese. Like, how
2: do you navigate that? I, That's <laughs> a very good question. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you don't have to do it like cold turkey. I think what you can do is just sort of ease your way out of it. And so rather than maybe having, okay, so I'll have a pint of ice cream today to reward myself. And then over time, well, maybe I'll just have half a pint or a quarter of a pint. With the understanding that you're trying to rewire, you're not going, I'm just not going to have it at all. It's just making sure that you're kind of easing your way down, but also making that connection with your mind that this is really not good for me, but I'm not going to just deprive yourself. Exactly. Because then if you deprive yourself, then it's a whole bag of... Downward spiral. Exactly. And you're going to get back to it. It's just... More of that change, but making sure that that change is is gradual.
3: It is finding a new, it's finding a new pleasure. Yeah, right. Which we're wired to like what we like, and sometimes, to the, Lisa's example, you like something that's bad for you.
2: Yeah,
3: right. And that Bourbon. could cigarettes, cheese, <laughs> yeah, cheese, cheese. <laughs> right. Um. And so, it, 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 I, I, what I'm hearing is like i oftentimes, and especially. In my experience um, with people, and my own experience, a lot of times the pleasures are physical. We, we're looking for um, some some savory sense. We're looking mm-hmm. for something rich. We're looking for something sensual. We're looking for something that satisfies something that's definitely not logical. Yeah. But it is definitely. It's but it's also. Um, it, it's like. It, It's something we need, a pleasure we need for our bodies. And I feel like that's part of it is not necessarily rewiring, but how do you replace a a pleasure? Right. Um, And that's two things to the thing that you pointed out, Lila, is that you're you're noticing your trigger, noticing that you need to change it, and then noticing, oh, you need to replace your reward too. And that's a lot of change Mm -hmm. at once. Um, And generally people... The more change they need the less they can handle at a time. Mm-hmm. And so if you got triggered you're a stressful very stressful state and you're not aware of how stressed it is that stress is your trigger that's like that's one thing <laughs> to be aware of as Alice is pointing out and then these other things that's that's stinking hard yeah and, and certainly without guidance and without if you don't have the social or the professional help to guide you through that and you're doing it alone
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mmm, it's over. Yeah, sounds like a
1: daunting task.
2: Yeah, yeah. you don't it, want to tackle too many things at once, too. It's just, it's just too overwhelming, and it's a recipe for just dis- 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 failure. Yeah, essentially.
1: The other thing that you said that stood out to me was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. You just said it, Dan Ariely. Dan Ariely, but he was uh, basically. Uh, Became observant on the fact that people are irrational, but in very predictable ways. Like, uh, can you talk more about that? Like, just be like, when you said that, I thought about um, me in this quesadilla or enchilada. And like, (laughs) it was a very irrational decision. And yet, my sister was like, she's gonna do it. She's gonna do it, you know? Um, So, yeah. Could you expand more on like how
2: we tend to be? Irrational, but predictably irrational. Sure. Um, he, I mean, he mentions uh, several, um, and I would recommend his book. He's um, not promoting, but yeah, no, no it's just fine. Just do, do, it. do you know okay. the name of it, or should we? Yeah, it's called it's um, called Predictably Irrational, Dr. Dan Ra- Ariely, and um, yeah, he mentions several ways in which we are predictably irrational. Uh, some one includes. Uh, the fact that what you believe or what you expect, you're going to find evidence of um, in reality. So what you see, that's why people always say you need to get your mind right, um, because your bias influences what you see, because your brain is looking out for evidence of what you believe. So you effectively only see what you want to see. Exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. I find that to be true. I was um, thinking of This argument that I've been having with a friend this week. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, um, you know, my family history leads me to believe that people never stay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the argument was that, you know, well, fine, then, you know, if this is so difficult, like, don't be my friend anymore.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I've actually tried to burn several bridges this week. Um, But what's interesting about that is, not only do I believe that and I'm looking for it, but mm-hmm. then I'm actually making it so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when it's not even necessarily going to happen without me like pushing the needle
3: yeah.
0: or the envelope. Absolutely. Which is so crazy. And you're not
3: alone, right? You're a yeah. human. You're fabulous, but you're not by yourself. That's a human thing. We don't even realize, it. again, consciousness, mm-hmm. right? We're not conscious. Oh, you actually create the thing. Yeah. You can create the very thing that you believe is true.
0: hmm I always get good parking. I do believe that. And it does happen. All the time. Yeah.
1: I think the mind is like way more powerful than people think it is. Um, And it's one of those things like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, is this thing really happening? Or is it now happening because Because you believe it's so? And maybe I think our actions push us in a way where we don't realize, well, because I said this thing is so, I'm going to operate as if it has already happened, and so then it happens because right. I'm operating in a way like it already has, and so how much of our reality is uh, comes out of
2: our own brain, mm-hmm. which is
1: mind blowing,
2: really, <laughs> like uh, mind boggling. Absolutely, uh, he mentions uh, some others. Uh, one has to do with uh, procrastination and self control, um, and how. You know, most of the, if we're able to set deadlines, we actually meet them. And if there are, um, if we're given free reign basically to do whatever we want, we will wait until the last possible minute to do it. And we <laughs> do it That's me this
3: week. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's me
2: every day. Um, <laughs> the other is um, the truth about relativity. No, go ahead and finish. I'll, I'll come back to the And um, that has to do with the fact that we don't make decisions in absolute terms. So everything is relational. There's a context to it. So for instance, if I tell you, um, and he used this example in the book, I give you three options uh, to a magazine that you like. The web version is going to cost you $59 a month. The uh, print version is going to cost you $125 a month. And then there's a, um, a web version and a print version Uh, You get both for $125 a month. Which one would you pick? Both for $125. Exactly. And most people will pick that. But if they were just given one choice or just the web version or just the print version, they won't make that choice. You need that context in order to make the decision. But we think that we actually make these decisions just, oh, absolute
3: terms. So I'm glad you bring that up. I I, I have a marketing coach for and you know, I'm an entrepreneur. So and they talk about that. Like you want a tiered offer. You see this a lot too. It's like a tiered offer. It's like the low one, the middle one, and then like, you know, the the platinum one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and usually actually the best value is in the middle. And the idea is that people are going to generally pick the middle of the road because they're just like, Okay, well now I know I don't I don't need the sports car and I don't want the Chevy, so I'm gonna get the thing in the middle, uh, eh, that's reasonable enough. Um, and so it's like, but if they didn't have the context, it'd be mm-hmm. like, they either pick it or they don't pick it at all, they just mm-hmm. walk away.
0: See, and I don't know if I believe that because I'm a, I'm a big believer in decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the fewer choices I have, the easier it is for me to make decisions. That is true. I think it's the number of options. Three seems to be like,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and this is again, world accord in April, but three seems to be like the magic number and maybe it's because we are accustomed to seeing it everywhere three options three options three options but if you get more than three yeah I have mm-hmm. the same thing I'm just like what just what just how what? <laughs> okay then I'm going to decide based on what I want to spend and I get irritated I actually get mm-hmm. irritated with more than three options I my, my first coach did this to me. she's like you can do this you can do this you can do that I'm
0: just like look here's much. what I want just tell me and here's what I'm going to pay <laughs> right <laughs> I don't yeah. know. What do you? What do you? I mean, what do you think, Lisa? Do you think that that you are kind of programmed that there's a relative value that you'll assign based on these other choices? That it, in the absence of the other choices, you wouldn't have made a choice, or? So I come from a interesting perspective
1: because you guys know I'm a hairstylist. It's my day job, and I do find that to be true, though. It's like you know people do this all the time and they're like okay well if i get a blow dry it's this much but if i get a blow dry and a haircut then it's this much and if what happens if i get a haircut with no blow dry and like they go over the you know all the different choices i mean i do think it's i but i do think if they have too many choices then they're like i don't even know you just pick for me and tell mm-hmm. me um but I do think there's a sweet spot and I do think for that people usually try to go with the middle of the road and what they feel like the best kind of value is at that point. Um, so like in the context of the uh, example I just gave, a lot of people will be like, okay, so a blow dry is this much and then a blow dry and a haircut is this much and then a haircut with no blow dry is this much. So, okay, I'll just go with the haircut and the blow dry. Even though sometimes they're like, I'm just going out to dinner and I just wanted my hair blow dried, but it seems like it's not that much more if I just get a haircut too. Mm. So I'll just do that. And it's like, but that's not what you came for. But now you just feel like, well, this is the better value. So I'm going to get this extra thing that I didn't want, but since I'm already here. Um, And sometimes it's a time thing too, because they're like, oh, it only takes an extra, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. Like, okay, well that's, you know, I'll do that. So, I mean, I, I would think from just my own, perspective that yeah it's pretty true people like that middle of the road
3: <laughs> <laughs> option what you just said triggered for me though like the idea that people will they will ask for more if it's available and it doesn't cost much more mm-hmm. like in time or money it's like okay well i can get that added on sprinkles too cool and then how much does that cost okay not any cool add that on and i i've I, it's something about that. Go ahead, Alan.
2: Mm-hmm. No, that's that's actually that's true because there's there's um there's another interesting observation that he made um, about things being free. So on Amazon, they'll say if you buy twenty five dollars, you get of something or whatever amount it is, you get free shipping. Um, <laughs> how many of you have <laughs> have actually bought something extra just to get that free?
1: And the shipping wasn't even that much.
2: Exactly, I
1: spent an extra twenty dollars just to get five dollar free shipping.
2: Right, and it, it does not it,
1: make sense.
2: Guilty, I'm guilty. <laughs> exactly, or standing, um, standing for you know, two waiting for two hours for ice cream for free. <laughs> yeah. You just wasted your time, but it was free. So really, uh, free. You just have to be mindful of the upper op- the costs of something that's free versus the amount of time it's actually going to take you in order to to get that thing.
3: It's that trade of time versus money. We often trade time
0: and money and don't realize we're trading.
2: Exactly. We we had a
0: recent podcast where we talked about expense versus affordability Mm -hmm. and that people will look at the cost of something without calculating what it means to them, Mm -hmm. right? So they'll say, well, I can't buy that because it's, you know – $5 $5 more than i would spend on this other thing but not recognizing the benefit to their health would you know mean so much more financially and in terms of the quality of their life and their time and what they won't have to spend for maybe health care cost mm-hmm. down the road so i think that really the the equation of you know can i afford this or can i afford not to versus well, that's free, but then what does it actually cost
2: me? Because nothing is truly free. No, there's a price for everything. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: That made me think about. Um, it was recently, recently, Seven Eleven Day. And, you know, they give out the free slurpees. Oh, slurpees! Slurpees for Seven Eleven. And like, I passed a Seven Eleven just happened to, and like, the line was like around the block for a Slurpee. And I'm thinking it's been years since I've had a Slurpee, but I don't know. So maybe I should have a Slurpee. But then I started to think about, oh, my goodness, how much sugar is in the Slurpee? And, like, yeah, I'm not going to have a Slurpee. But um, so that's an interesting point that you brought out is, like, sometimes the cost is more costly than the cost of, you know, whatever the thing is. Because when you think about it, a Slurpee is, what, 79 cent or a dollar or whatever until you drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you're at the hospital, <laughs> you know, three days because you're on a sugar high. You can't get down from,
3: yeah. Which, just a quick aside, because I know we want to go back to um, something else, but like the idea of trading time for money. It's seventy nine cent, and you get uh, it's seventy nine cent is but your time. If you're standing in line for two hours, was, was that two hours worth seventy nine cent? Um, because to me, two hours of my time is worth a lot more than that. Yeah, exactly. and a lot of times, are pe- I find people are cheap with their time, but they... Sorry, they're cheap with their money, but not with their time. Right. they spend the time. Right.
1: And I think sometimes that's the thing that, you know, companies are banking on. So you can imagine if you're in 7-Eleven and you're in a line that's 30 minutes long for a free Slurpee, how many other things are you going to pick up while you're standing in this line, right? You're going to be like, oh, you know what? I, I should probably get some water for this Slurpee. And, oh, you know what? I a stick of gum. I haven't had gum. And like, uh, you know, oh, look at these Doritos are on sale. It's, you know, they know that if they can kind of suck you in with the time, they're going to get the money too. Eventually, nobody actually walks out with just a free Slurpee. The you whole know, <laughs> 7-Eleven. Yeah. That's
0: how they get you in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. I, I feel like um, if you're in marketing, there's a lot of fodder for things that you can do based on just the conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the um, the procrastination and self-control and that you know, if you don't have a deadline, then it's likely it won't happen, right? Um, I was, <laughs> I, I was traveling recently, and I said to someone like the level of effort to take a three day trip is the same as a one day trip, mm. or a one night trip, I should say, versus a three night trip. And um, what I said to the person I was talking to is that I feel like we'll fill we'll fill the suitcase to whatever capacity it has Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not you actually need those things um because you're at it it's it's almost like money right like you'll always or most people will spend to the level of their income or maybe just a little bit beyond so no matter how much money you make you you're just gonna find more stuff to buy it's not like you actually are like you know to the good and whatever the consideration is you're you are just going to have more stuff that you need to buy
3: which speaks to the point of why people feel like you know i never there's never enough money there's it's also scarcity. never enough time
2: yeah.
3: right and i'm um it's cliche in hollywoods like a woman stands in her closet and she's like i don't have anything to wear <laughs> and she's got you know <laughs> oh, i just read. exactly and so it's that idea of it's a perception too right there's never enough money okay but yeah if you have a gla- if you have a closet to fill then mm-hmm. you're going to feel like i need to fill it we don't like vacuums.
2: Right.
3: Uh, I don't know if that's conscious or subconscious. We don't like vacuums. Um, and so if you, you know, you have a certain amount of money, you're going to feel like, okay, then I can buy more stuff. And there's never going to be enough because right. there's always more stuff. And if people like 7-Eleven, companies like 7-Eleven, <laughs> got you in there <laughs> and they're just like, just spend your time in here. Then you're going to find something to buy and fill up with more stuff. And that's that goes for in your body or in your closet or in your house or if it's there, we tend to eat
0: more. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's free. Buffets. Right? Yep. Right. I'm going right. to get my money's worth at the all-you-can-eat buffet.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Which I always feel like it's such a rip-off. Because, I mean, the average person is not eating a whole buffet's worth of food. But you just feel like, well, it's there. And I'm paying for it. And it's it's so funny because people are like, it's free. But it's not free because you pay for a buffet.
0: So. <laughs> yes. <It's> not free. <laughs> so... I I know that the people have been probably anxiously awaiting, like, so what do I do with all of this information? How do I change my, you know, trigger, habit, reward, succession so that I'm
2: more successful in the things that I want to do? Right. And it's, there's never really an easy answer. And this seems a little bit trite, but really it is that awareness and an understanding that you're actually, you think that you're everything that you're doing is coming from the prefrontal cortex that you're consciously making all of these decisions, but you're actually not. Everything is driven or most things are driven subconsciously. Um, And you just have to be aware of the fact that, you know, some of the things that you're doing already, they're so far down in your subconscious that you can't get to them unless you're aware of it and you want to actually make a conscious effort to change it. And when you do decide that you want to change it, what tricks can you do that things that bring you joy that you can associate with the thing that you want to change and making that gradual change? Um, Just not expecting that it's going to change overnight. It's going to take a while. I'm going to read that book now. And
3: yeah. So thank you, Alice. And I'm going to put a plug in here, too. This is what I do in coaching because (laughs) it's like awareness. It's curiosity more than anything. Oh, we do that thing. Not with judgment, because mm-hmm. that's a negative piece, but the positive of like, oh, th- okay, so you, no, let's notice this. You did this, and then this happened. What was the trigger for that?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, okay, so let's just notice that this week. How are you playing? Right. Right? And do you, is this what you want, this outcome that you want? Is this what you want, or would you like something different? What would you like? Okay, cool. How are you going to create that new thing? Um, and so that's just... I love it. I love it. That's all I can say. I love it. I love
2: it. And there's one other book, too, if uh, your uh, uh, listeners are interested in um, learning more about habit. uh, There's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Dewey. Um, So it also goes into how habits form and what you can do to uh, to form new habits. Thank you. That's good. Lila, did you finish that book, by the way? I did. I've read that book like three times. Honestly, The
1: Power of Habit is really good. Having a... Hard time with the, he talks about like the 4 a.m. start Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> I've been trying <laughs> for three like, years now.
0: <laughs> can we go back for a second because early on, Lisa was talking about how she didn't have a bedtime and she had a totally unstructured childhood. And all I could picture was like her walking around like in her pajamas in a fog, like trying to make <laughs> her own cereal, and like, why am I so tired? <laughs> that's like, pretty
1: accurate, probably. <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. But you know, that's one thing that I will say about what Alice said about being aware of what's happening with you and um, in the context of trying to make new decisions, right? Because ever since we had that conversation and I realized that it's really easy to be hard on yourself and just say, I'm just never going to be a morning person because, and this is where like kind of shame comes in, right? Because then it's like, I'm just not meant to be a person, a morning person. I am not, you know, motivated enough. I am not, uh, disciplined, disciplined enough, dedicated enough, all of these like negative self-talks. I am not, I am not. Uh, but once I had this conversation with Alice and I'm like, oh, well this comes from a much deeper place. It allows you to also have that patience with yourself, right? Where you're like, I intellectually understand now it's not just about getting up at 5am, right? Or 6am and getting out of bed. It's about retraining my brain to break all the habits that I learned in a time where I was not even conscious that I was learning them and so you think if I learn these things from 0 to 9 and I've been doing these things for the last, you know, 20 something, 30 something years then yes, how long would it take me to change that? It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen, you know, even in a year. You know, I like I said I read that book The Power of Habit for sure 2 or 3 years ago. I still <laughs> still reading it, <laughs> like I finished it. But yeah, it's going to take a long time to implement those things because you're going against some real deeply like entrenched things um, that you didn't even know were happening. So uh, if anything, I would say to our listeners to, to be mindful and to allow yourself the space to to grow and to change and to realize that those habits weren't formed overnight, so they will not disappear overnight. But to just be aware and to be consciously trying to change them a little bit at a time is, like, the key.
3: I think this is a perfect time to remind audience listeners that what we say all the time. Progress over perfection. For sure. Be gentle with yourself um, and uh, pursue progress. Baby steps. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or at thejealousvegan.com and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.